T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. What exactly did we learn on this Tuesday, the seventh day of February? Well, I learned a lot from an author who dropped by to talk to us about her brand new book called Reef Road. Her name is Deborah Goodrich Royce. You may know her from All My Children, but this new book is interesting in that it comes from some extent the experience of her mother who had her best friend killed in the Brushton Homewood neighborhood back in 1948. Deborah Goodrich Royce joining me on KDKA to talk about Reef Road. You know, on Mondays at 535, we do Rick's Reading List, and on Rick's Reading List, we have an opportunity to go through, and I say we in terms of it's me, uh, to pick a book that I want to read and then to go through and review it for you and talk through it hear about some of the things that we've learned and some of the things that we've talked about and some of the things that uh, that I learned in it and just sort of my thoughts about it. You know that I like to read a lot of history. You know that uh, I read uh, all sorts of things. And I'm in the process of working on another one right now, but this is going to be a little bit backwards because what we're going to do today, even though I have started her book, I have not finished it. It will be my next book for next Monday on Rick's reading list. But right now I want to talk to the author because this is going to be a fascinating conversation. Deborah Goodrich Royce joining us right now, the author of a book called Reef Road. Deborah, it is great to have you on KDKA. How are you? I am fine, and I'm happy to be in Pittsburgh and talking to you. Well, I know all those years on All My Children, which was not filmed here in Pittsburgh. I, I understand no. that. I mean, Chicago, Wrinkle in Time. I mean, you've done all sorts of amazing things for Miramax, and you've done all sorts of things uh, with your husband in terms of restoring theaters and things like that. What is it in your background that says, you know what, let's add author to that list of things that I've done? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think it's not such a, tra- a strange transition from acting to writing. And with my years at Miramax, of course, I was an editor of other people's writing. So there, there was a, a logical path going from one to the other. Why do you write? What is it about that? Because reading somebody else's words doesn't necessarily give you the discipline to be able to put your thoughts down in paper. It's not just something you just sit down, there's a blank piece, and you start pushing the keys. There's more to it. So why do you write? I think I write for the same reason we all communicate with with our fellow human beings. You know, there's just that absolute thrill when you say something in such a way that another person understands and has gone through something the same or similar, and you just connect. And then particularly with this book, Reef Road, um, 
as you may know, it sounds like you haven't read it yet, but it is a Pittsburgh story. My mother's best friend was murdered here in Pittsburgh in 1948, and it's really haunted us, my mother and me, all these years, and uh, it was time to dig into that. I'm about 100 pages into it right now, and it ping-pongs back and forth between the story of this young girl, Noelle, who was your mother's dearest friend, I think, growing up in the Brushton Homewood section of town. And it goes back and forth between uh, a woman named Linda and uh, the disappearance of her children and her husband and what's going on for them in Florida as well. How did you come up with the notion? Because it seems to be, at least in the early going, two very dissimilar stories, and yet... I'm starting to see some threads. Where did the idea come from? Well, when the pandemic shut us down wherever we were, I happened to be in Florida. So I sat down and I thought I would finally research this real murder, which happened on December the 10th, 1948, as you mentioned, in Homewood, Brushton. It is a cold case. It's still an unsolved crime. And lo and behold, there was just a a treasure trove of material on the internet. You know, all that stuff's been uploaded. I got the um, coroner's report from the University of Pittsburgh. They have the archives of all that. Spoke to the Pittsburgh police. They would not, (laughs) because it's a cold case, they would not talk about it. Mm -hmm. But I did not want to write it as nonfiction. The real uh, murder victim's name is not Noel. It's very knowable. Anybody who wants to do a little trip into Google, they can find it. But I really didn't want to get into the business of saying what I thought happened in this real family. I wanted to explore the idea of generational trauma and conferred trauma. I think we are affected by extreme acts of violence that didn't necessarily happen to us. And um, and the fact that I was sitting in Palm Beach at that time, I also wanted a page-turning thriller. So the two storylines evolved. Did you feel that trauma through your mother growing up, meaning your mother losing a dear friend and you know not being with her friend on that night and perhaps could have been if the movie would have been at a different time or what? Do you see what I'm saying? I mean, did, did you live that? Did yes. you feel that through your mom? Absolutely. I did. And I think when I was younger, I thought it was unique to us. And as I grew up, I realized this is a common syndrome. You think about someone like Dominic Dunn, whose daughter was murdered. You know, he completely changed his life, uh, started reporting on some of our most sensational murder trials. You think of O.J. Simpson and Michael Skakel. It, It turned his life around, the murder of his daughter. You think about Michelle McNamara, who wrote I'll Be Gone in the Dark, which became the HBO series. Uh, There was a girl murdered in her Illinois town. I think it affects us. And I didn't really understand how much of a, a, (laughs) to use the modern terminology, how much of a thing it is. But it is really a thing that we are affected by these extreme acts of violence. The woman that you hear on the phone is Deborah Goodrich-Royce. She is an author of Reef Road. You may remember her from her time on All My Children, but she's also done a tremendous amount of work as a story editor and doing a lot of things for the arts. But now this book that she has written has been receiving some really remarkable reviews. I want to read you the one from my friend Brian Cuban, who's been on this program a number of times. He wrote The Ambulance Chaser. He and his family are from Mount Lebanon, so he understands the Pittsburgh side of things. And that was part of his book. 
In it, Brian says, Reef Road careens from decades-old unsolved murder in Pittsburgh to a grisly discover washed up on the shore of a breezy ocean town in Palm Beach. With expert touch and nuance, Deborah Goodrich-Royce weaves the lives of a novelist searching for the truth aboard Housewife and the menacing figure of a man of two or two through the claustrophobic early days of the COVID pandemic. The result is an asteroid-like collision of deceit, guilt, greed, and an unexpected stunning climax that will stay with you long after you finish reading. A page-turning, incredible read. What is it like for you to read the words of other authors about your work? <laughs> well, you know what? <laughs> you pinch yourself. That is exactly what you do. And I think Having had some fame and success as an actress at a much younger age, I feel like having this success now, I am more able to sit very quietly and try very hard to absorb and pay attention and just appreciate it because there's no guarantee it will last. Reef Road is the name of the book. And again, it next Monday is the book that I will have finished by then and will be reviewing for everybody on the air. Deborah, I very much appreciate you being here. I also appreciate the fact that you're looking into some things that obviously caused great pain for families and for individuals here in Pittsburgh back in 1948. And if this sheds some light onto that, and who knows, maybe ultimately something will come of it then that's all the better as well. Thank you very much for being here. Thank you. And I'll be at Penguin Books tomorrow. So thanks a lot. Which location? Sewickley. You're going to be in uh, Sewickley. Okay. What Wednesday. time? Uh, 7 p.m., I think. 7? 7 p.m. at Penguin. I may just drop by and get your autograph. I would like that. Thank <laughs> Deborah, you. thank you so much for being here. I sure appreciate it. My pleasure. Yep. Bye. Great stuff. As uh, again, the author of the book called Reef Road, joining us here, Deborah Goodrich Royce on KDKA. Also on the program today, the Chinese spy balloon has been pulled out of the ocean. The U.S. Navy releasing photos today of what it looks like, and they can tell us a little bit more about it. But you know what? If we go back and if we look at history, we've learned a lot of things, and people have some very strong opinions as to what a balloon like that might have been intended for. Was it a dry run for something far more nefarious than collecting weather information? Some people say absolutely, and I think they're probably... On to something. U.S. Navy has been releasing photos of exactly what that Chinese balloon looked like. Uh, they are been, they've been using underwater drones. Warships have also been out there, inflatable vessels on the water as well, as they have been carrying out an extensive operation trying to gather all the pieces, according to the Associated Press, of the massive Chinese spy balloon that was shot down by a U.S. fighter jet off the coast of South Carolina Saturday. The newest images released by the Navy today, sailors from the Explosive Ordnance Disposal Group 2 are leaning over the rigid hull inflatable boat, pulling in broad pieces of the balloon's white outer fabric and a shell structure as well. The head of the U.S. Northern Command, General Glenn Van Herc, said the teams are taking precautions to safeguard against the chance that any part of the balloon was rigged with explosives. The balloon was about 200 feet tall, was carrying a long sensor package underneath, which was the size of a payload of a small regional jet. 
Navy also been using ships to map and to scan the sea floor for all the remaining parts of the balloon so analysts can get a full picture of the types of sensors the Chinese were using and to better understand how the balloon was able to maneuver. That balloon debris is scattered in waters that are about 50 feet deep, but they stretch across an area that is about 15 football fields long and about 15 football fields across, according to the general. Which then leads to the next question. And the next question is, what exactly was the balloon doing? Chinese have said that it was an unmanned scientific exploration, meteorological purposes, nothing more, nothing less. Nothing to see here. Move along. Leave us alone. Why'd you shoot it down? I think that everybody who heard that story is really not exactly um, buying what the Chinese are trying to sell. I saw a piece this week which, you know, again, take everything that you read with a grain of salt. However, in saying that, let's also consider the history of what has gone on before and the history of war and what has gone on before in terms of the use of dirigibles or balloons or things like that. I'm going to read just a little bit of this uh, essay uh, from this columnist named Paul Bedard. High-altitude balloons, such as the one that China floated over the Mountain State military bases this week, are considered key delivery platforms, he says, for secret nuclear strikes on America's electric grid. And that is according to intelligence officials that he is citing. Spy balloons used by Japan to drop bombs during World War II are far more sophisticated now. They can fly up to 200,000 feet. They can evade detection. They can carry a small nuclear bomb that, if exploded in the atmosphere, could potentially shut down the grid and wipe out electronics in a many statewide area. The threat of the balloon-launched electromagnetic pulse attacks was warned about by a congressional EMP commission and inside the military several years ago. 2015 report from the American Leadership and Policy Foundation, a major in the Air Force named David Stuckenberg, one of the nation's leading EMP experts, wrote extensively about the threat that balloons carrying bombs could pose to our national security. This was eight years ago. Using a balloon as a WMD, weapon of mass destruction, or a WME platform could provide adversaries with a palette of altitudes and payload options with which to maximize offensive effects against the U.S., he wrote in that report. A high-altitude balloon could be designed, created, launched in a matter of months There is nothing to prevent several hundred pounds of weapons material from being delivered to altitude. On Friday, the same author said that China's recent balloon flyover the United States is clearly a provocative and aggressive act. It was most likely a type of dry run meant to send a strategic message to the United States. We must not take this for granted. Again, that's a quote from... Air Force Major David Stuckenberg, who wrote this report talking about the use of balloons for military advantage. 
Stuckenberg now is in the private sector. He's a national security expert, a scientist who also led the Defense Department's EMP task force. He was chairman of the American Leadership and Policy Foundation. He pointed to what Japan did in World War II in what they called Project Fugo. And for those of you who know your history, they targeted the United States with balloon bombs as an example of the threat. But think how far we have to go back to have something like that going on. That was in the mid-40s, the early 40s, that America was facing a threat of this nature. Fugo from Japan using balloons to float bombs. They used the trade winds to get across the Pacific to the United States and to Canada. Now, these electromagnetic uh, folks who are looking at these sorts of things have warned that China, North Korea, Russia, Iran, all have programs that could hit the U.S. grid with electromagnetic pulse weapons that could cut the cord for a year or longer. A congressional report has warned that a blackout that long could result in millions of of deaths here. And Stuckenberg cited the research of the late Peter Pry, who headed a congressional commission on EMP and reported on the potential of a balloon-launched attack. The former CIA analyst, a member of the Congressional Commission on the Assessed Threat of the United States to an EMP attack, stated, imagine the consequences of a balloon EMP attack that damages and destroys electronic systems at the speed of light within an EMP field with a radius of hundreds of kilometers. The eastern grid generates 75% of the U.S. electricity and supports most of the population, according to Pry. Virtually any nuke detonated anywhere over the eastern grid will collapse the entire eastern grid, not just the area within the EMP field, because of the cascading failures that will ripple outward. And Stuckenberg, in this paper again from 2015, in the case of the EMP, the consequences of a failure to anticipate all delivery modes within the reach of an imaginative enemy could be an immediate and widespread as guardians of our nature's future. Planners must leave no stone unturned in an effort to deprive America's enemies excuse me, of low-cost, low-tech, high-consequence military options. So China saying that this balloon that it flew over Montana was safe. It was not a threat. The Pentagon uh, rebuffed some calls to shoot it down because it would be a safety issue to those below. But at the same time, it also sounds like it could be a real threat to those in large portions of the United States. So that's the, the write-up, and now we'll talk about it. And we're checking on traffic right now, and we'll talk a little bit about it and we, as we continue on the other side. More about what the Navy found, too, and how does that pertain to what was written over the weekend when it was shot down off the coast of Carolina. Don't bring me down. It's uh, 351 on KDKA, Pittsburgh's news, weather, and traffic station, 100.1 FM and AM 1020. Uh, we're talking about this Chinese spy balloon and what exactly it means. And on top of that, uh, what exactly uh, do we know about the size of it and things like that? We were just going through that report from 2015 talking about how uh, countries that don't necessarily want the United States to be a dominant dominant player forever and ever may target us with the use of things like balloons. Well, if that was the case, and if that's been out there for a long time and people who were a part of NORAD know about it, well, then what exactly do we know about this particular balloon? Well, we know that it was more than 200 feet in height, more than a 20-story building 
we know that if you basically uh, look at it in terms of comparing it to a 747, if you take a 747 and you go wingtip to wingtip, that's about how tall the balloon was. It's enormous, absolutely enormous. And on top of that, what they're saying is that the payload, in terms of what it could carry, they say is similar in size to what a regional jetliner would have carried. Similar in size and payload to what a regional jetliner would have carried. Regional jetliners, right? I mean, think about a, a Boeing aircraft or think about an Airbus aircraft, right? Think about some of these smaller planes. Not a 747, not these massive ones, but let's think of a smaller one. Let's think of a 737 or an Airbus uh, uh, and uh, some of the, the smaller ones that you know might have three seats on either side of an aisle. We're not talking about three seats and then five in the center and three more on the other side. That's not what we're talking about. But think about how much payload a regional jetliner can carry. And if a balloon has the ability, like this one did, to carry that much capacity, what could they ultimately be carrying that might be delivered, in quotes, to the United States or to enemies of China or of North Korea or of Russia or of Iran or others that are out there? I don't think that it's that far for people to look at this and say, I think we need to be very intentional in our response and our dealings with China right now. That for Blinken to say, okay, I'm not going to come this week, I think that is the very first step and the very best. But now, and I certainly hope that it is addressed tonight in the State of the Union address, that there is a forceful and strong message to the Chinese that what happened this past week is not only unacceptable, but that it will not be tolerated and that there are going to be repercussions for what they did. There has to be. The United States cannot allow something like this to happen and simply not have a strong and forceful response to it. President Biden's second State of the Union address will be delivered tonight to a joint session of Congress. I think it's an opportunity for the president to put his foot down and to say, you know what, we have to do more. We have to get to work that sitting back and doing nothing is not acceptable. Here's my take on tonight's State of the Union address. It is a tradition that the president go to Congress and sometime either late January, early February, deliver a State of the Union address. And at the beginning of the show, we talked about how there has been some talk back and forth about, hey, you know, let's not just do a massive hour-long speech that talks about everything, the state of our union. Let's just do a subject on just one thing. Let's, let's do a speech on just on just um, what's going on with the economy. Or let's do one just on what's going on with education or guns and violence. So let's just let's do that and let's address that. But the president certainly can't walk away from the number of eyeballs that will be on him by doing a State of the Union address. And so as a result, the politician side of things has pushed back against 
canceling it or changing it or doing it differently than it has been done for generations. And with that being said, Joe Biden will head across town and leave Pennsylvania Avenue and go down to the Capitol building tonight for his State of the Union address. The question now becomes is exactly what is that going to be? What is that going to sound like? What is that going to lay out? What is that going to try to spur? Because in reality, the State of the Union address can do a number of different things. It can be an update. It can be literally, this is where we stand in terms of getting inflation under control. It can be, this is where we are economically right now as a country. This is where the budget stands. And and it can sort of update and check off those boxes. The State of the Union can also be an opportunity for the president to lay out the agenda in terms of what he wants the policy to to be what he wants Congress to do, what he wants the House and the Senate, even though they're controlled by different parties now, to figure out. So the question becomes, what are we going to get tonight? Is it going to be checking off a bunch of boxes? This is the state of our union. The state of our union is strong. You'll hear it at some point tonight. But I also think that for Joe Biden, he is really facing a big task tonight because of the divisions in our country, because of the fact that different parties control the two houses where he will be speaking. Of course, this is going to be in the House chamber, but the Senate is controlled by the Democrats, the House controlled by the Republicans. So there is not only just the divide between the Democratic side and the House, I'm sorry, and the Republican side, but there is the Senate side versus the House side. So you've got a couple of different dynamics that are going on there. I do think that the military question uh, will come up in terms of response to China. I, I really do. And I think this is going to be one area um, that, as Sarah Huckabee Sanders, the Arkansas governor who will be delivering the Republican response tonight, I think that is probably something that she will jump on at some point if there is not a strong response from the president as to what happened with the balloon being floated over the U.S. here within the last week. So what exactly do we anticipate to hear tonight? What exactly do we um, anticipate the president will try to do tonight? Well, here's just one um, one person or one organization's thoughts about what they expect. And this is from the Associated Press. As uh, President Biden expected to offer a reassuring assessment of the nation's condition rather than a rollout of flashy policy proposals as he delivers his second State of the Union address, seeking to overcome pessimism in the country and concerns about his own leadership. His speech before that politically divided Congress comes as the nation struggles to make sense of confounding cross-currents at home and abroad, economic uncertainty, a wearying war in Ukraine, growing tensions with China among them, and wearily sizes up Biden's fitness for a likely re-election bid. The president will stand at the House rostrum at a time when just a quarter of U.S. adults say things in the country are headed in the right direction, according to a new poll by the Associated Press and the Center for Public Affairs Research. About three-quarters say they're on the wrong track, and a majority of Democrats don't want Biden to seek another term. It's about 61% most recently. 
He'll confront those sentiments head on, aides say, while at the same time trying to avoid sounding insensitive to Americans' concerns. I think the core message is we have to make more progress, but people should feel optimism, says Brian Dietz, who is the director of the National Economic Council. Chapman University presidential historian uh, Luke Nichter says the closest parallel to Biden's present circumstances may be the 1960s, when you had global uncertainty, meaning the disconnect of the domestic disquiet. Biden has an opportunity to be a calming presence for the country, says Nichter. Usually we're looking for an agenda. Here's what he plans to do. I don't know that that's really realistic, says Nichter. I think Americans' expectations are pretty low of what Congress is actually going to achieve. And so I think right now sentiment and tone helping Americans feel better about them circumstances are going to go a long way. I got to tell you, I completely disagree completely disagree with that assessment. There is one thing I do agree upon. Americans' thoughts and hopes about what will be done in the next two years are at rock bottom. Nobody expects anything to get done. We've heard members of both houses of Congress say they don't think anything is going to get done. That there's just too much disconnect between the parties, that there's too much uh, between the House and the Senate, and they're too different, and they don't necessarily want the same things. And as a result, with a presidential election coming up in a couple of years, we're just not going to do anything. The president has the chance to take that on head on and say, that is not acceptable. We are not just going to sit back and do status quo for the next two years. Lead, follow, or get out of the way. I say that to the Republicans. I say that to the Democrats. I say that to the president. Somebody has to take a leadership role. And while we may not always agree with what the other side says, I think all of us as Americans want somebody to try to do something. Thinking that you're going to get a pass for doing nothing, you're absolutely wrong. The only thing you're going to get is a pass in a couple of years to be sent home. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Listen to every MLB game live. In the deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.